Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Mary Jane Kay. Welcome to 90 Days with Mary Jane Kay. Today, we're going to break all the way down before the 90 Days, Season 5, Episode 6, Burns and Betrayals. This podcast breaks down each new episode of 90 Days and offers insight and commentary on the crazy cast of characters, the dysfunctional relationships, and the drama that ensues as a result. My name is Mary Jane Kay, and my guilty pleasure is chilling out with a nice wine or a lovely indica, shutting off my mind and watching the car wrecks that are 90 Days and Sister Wives. There are so many red flags. It's like driving by a horrific wreck watching these shows. You know you don't want to look, but you do it anyway despite yourself, and you know you'll regret it, but you just can't help it. This is the place to recap and make sense of the madness that is 90 Days. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get to it. The episode starts with Alina and Caleb snuggling in bed as Alina awkwardly picks at Caleb's barely there chest hair. And she's literally petting him like he's a pet, like an animal. I think it's creepy. I don't know. And Alina asks Caleb about his thoughts on last night. And he says, it was a lot of fun. You can do a lot of stuff for your size. To me, it felt incredibly condescending, but Alina is all smiles. And in confessional, she is asked if the experience was what she always imagined. She responds, not exactly. There were awkward moments because she's a little person and Caleb isn't used to sex with a little person. She says it was a matter of holding her and positioning and that the position wasn't great, but it was still nice. I don't know about you guys, but if someone referred to sex with me as nice, I wouldn't be too happy about it. Caleb then said that this was something new, having sex with a little person, and you don't know what to expect and it can get in someone's head like a monkey wrench. Again, that's a red flag. To me, referring to Alina's disability as a monkey wrench seemed incredibly insulting. Caleb then says in confessional that being with a little person is like being a virgin again. And you don't know what to expect. You don't know what is acceptable and not all positions are possible. And he wants to be respectful of her and make sure she feels autonomy. And I dig that. I dig that he wants to respect Alina and make sure she feels uh, good about the experience and that she gets to be in charge of the experience. And he says he wants to navigate what might feel demeaning because of her size difference. He then says that Alina's legs being bent changed the options of what positions could work. And he talks about this a lot, saying that not all positions are possible. But, you know, realistically, whether it's an able-bodied person or a disabled person, if there's a height difference, like, for example, I'm tiny, 5'1", 5'2", I'm I'm normally, you know, uh, the boyfriends I've had in the past, all super tall, 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". So, you know, you just, you could do most of the positions just sometimes in different ways because of the height difference. It's not just for a person with a disability that uh, not all positions are possible in every single way. So I just want to point that out. Uh, then Caleb, uh, he then says that... You have to figure out new ways of doing things, okay, but it was fun, and he says that they need to do it more often to make it natural to them. And he asks Alina, as they go back to, from the confessional scene to the scene of them cuddling in bed, he asks her if he heard her, and she says no, she liked it, and she refers, she says it was enjoyable. And Caleb seemed to not like that classification of enjoyable. It's like when you say a person is quote-unquote nice. Like, oh, that person's nice in that kind of a tone. And she laughed and she says, no, it was amazing, but I don't want to say too much good stuff so you don't quit trying your best. 
And she says she wants to make Caleb work. And she says she was nervous that if something went wrong, it may have affected their friendship and their relationship. And Caleb said he never considered that. Of course, he's only concerned, (laughs) most men, (laughs) he's concerned about how the sex will go. And then he'll worry about the other stuff. But he says he wasn't worried that it would affect their friendship. And he never really even considered that it would. And that the intimacy opened them up further. And then they decide to go sightsee. And Alina says she is super happy about the chemistry, but that it bothers her that Caleb still won't discuss their future together and that they don't have a lot of time together. And she asserts that she needs certainty from him and they show them side by side brushing teeth. Now, this is a pet peeve of mine. Me personally, I like brushing my teeth alone in the morning and I like alone time in the morning. I like getting ready alone. And, you know, to this point, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in a side note. And I don't agree with Jasmine's outburst, like, at all, not with it at all. But when she goes to the gym and she works out, you can tell, like, that's her alone time. She likes to work out alone, clear her head. And so I understand wanting to be alone when you do certain things in your life, whether you're with a person or not with a person. Um, Later, when Jasmine hits the gym, we see Gino tag along, and he keeps making conversation as she's trying to work out and do her repetitions and breathe. And if I was going to go work out... Again, I'd want my alone time as well to clear my head, and I'd be super annoyed to have anyone tag along just to talk and sit on the sidelines while I'm trying to work out. So, super annoying. But I guess I have weird pet peeves. Next, we move on to Kim and Usman. Kim is 50 from San Diego, and she met Usman from Nigeria, and he's in his early 30s. And they've talked for about a year, and now she's in Tanzania to meet him. And she has been classified as a super fan with potential to be a girlfriend. She's not yet even in the running to be a girlfriend, just potential to be a girlfriend. And Usman insists on separate hotel rooms, and she has gifted on the first night, she has gifted Usman a PS5 and a MacBook, I believe, in a previous episode in the hopes to get her cobwebs cleared and to move from superfan status with potential to an actual girlfriend status. And all she has gotten from Usman so far are hugs, and she seems desperate for affection. And I just want to point out, a lot of the cast of 90 Day, just in general, seem to be in love with the idea of love. And I feel like people are, um, I don't want to use the word trained, but conditioned by society to believe that they have to have love to be complete and to finally have that happiness and love and ultimate peace and bliss and security they assume they will attain that from a relationship and I don't want to go off on a tangent yet but I do want to say that if you aren't happy within yourself or validated within yourself you will never get it from an outside source from money from a job from an outside person from from objects You will never get any type of, if you don't feel it from within you, you will never get it from an external source. And you can only have that deep love and stability realistically if you feel complete within yourself. And none of these people have that. And they have very idealized versions of love and of sex and relationships. And when they have not yet met the person, just because they're hearing the right words or they feel a certain way or they're desperate for this idealized version, like a validation that they have someone, like as if having someone means that they're validated as a person and they pin all their happiness and all their worth on that and they travel and they expect bells and whistles and fairy tales and typically they get something very different from what they were expecting. I also want to say that I think a lot of the American people 
pick way out of their league, and they're aware they won't be able to get someone of a higher league than than them, even just attraction-wise, in America. So they look online and overseas, uh, and I think a lot of the cast feels like the green card equalizes the deficit or sweetens the pot. Like, you'll see an older guy with a much younger girl, or you'll see um, a much more attractive partner who's the foreign partner or international partner, I should say. And then you'll see the American who's not, you know, at, at in their league and they know that they're going to get the green card. I just, I feel uncomfortable with it. Anyway, they feel that the green card equalizes the deficit or sweetens the pot and they kind of lord the green card over the other person. And it sickens me completely because I'm not, I'm not saying with all of the Americans, but with some of the Americans, I feel like they feel like they're offering the green card like, that makes it okay to accept all of these things that are less, that are not at the level of the other person, like attractiveness or education or whatever it may be. And these people don't really want actual mutual unconditional love. I think they want lots of sex and I think they want fed egos and they want to fill the void of their insecurities. And a lot of the time they go to the other country with little to no understanding of the language or the culture and they almost have a superior attitude and I can't stand seeing that. For example, uh, and this is from a past season and this is just a minor example, but I think we all know with Elizabeth and Andre, uh, Elizabeth's father, Chuck, you know, when they went to Moldova, her whole family was very condescending about Moldova. And Chuck's father, uh, Elizabeth's father, Chuck, referred to Moldovan food as peasant food. And I just see a lot of examples of disrespect, and I really don't like it. Okay, rent over. Back to Kim and Usman. Kimbali says she wants more time with Usman, and that Usman still hasn't kissed her or stayed with her. And Kim is rocking the Usman t-shirt fangirling hard and she looks in the mirror and says delusionally that she could be one of the dancers in the video he is about to go shoot and she says her butt is bigger than theirs and that she's sure of that and the camera pans to her flat as a pancake ass (laughs) kim is going to watch usman film the video for zara and it's a song about a chick usman had an online relationship with and kim douses herself in a mystery purple fragrance or body spray inside her shirt and all over her arms. And she did this painstakingly. Like, she spread it in her in her shirt, on her arms, all over herself, like half the bottle. So maybe it's a voodoo love potion for Usman. I'm not really clear on that, but if anyone knows what the mystery purple spray was, I am curious. And I'd like to talk about Kim's hair for a moment, um, the halfway up high ponytail look. Now I did this hairstyle in my early teens and I stopped by around before way before the age of, I was going to say the age of 20 but way before that I stopped maybe when I was 16 or 17 max and I think it looks incredibly out of place on a 50 year old and I just have to say that and now Kim wants to be Usman's cheering system so maybe that's why she has her hair like that it, it looks like I don't know like a cheerleader hairstyle just like very childish and so she wants to be Usman's cheering system and Usman is with his manager and assistant and everyone is excited about the video in romantic Tanzania since the song is about love and Usman confirms he is bringing Kimberly and he refers to her as a fan and says as a fan he knows she's excited and when she greets him she wraps his arms around him enthusiastically and he is a hold- holding suitcases and he makes no effort to hug her and looks really unenthusiastic that Kim is even touching him at all. It's super awkward. 
And Usman tells viewers the song is about his ex Zara, and Kimberly doesn't know about her yet. Usman never met Zara, she's American, and you can tell that, like, she's beautiful, and Usman is handsome, like, he's, I'm personally not attracted to him, but he's a handsome guy, and they would look really good together, I think, him and Zara, and I think they, they look very compatible together. So, and Usman never met Zara, she's American, but he had strong feelings for her, and she couldn't handle the female fans, so she broke up with him. When Usman talks about Zara, you can totally see that, like, he did have feelings for her, that he's into her. His body language changes. He, um, You could tell that there's something there. Like, he's actually could have been really into Zara. Um, and you can, you can feel it from the words he uses, from the way. And this song that they're about to go shoot, which Kimberly, unbeknownst to her, is, is titled Zara. It's about her. And Usman tells viewers that the song is about Zara, and Kimberly doesn't know about her. I wonder how it's going to go when Kimberly finds out that the song is about Zara. (laughs) Anyway, Usman says that he is bringing Kimberly to the photo shoot because models will be there that are his age and beautiful. So he wants to see if Kimberly can handle it and keep herself in check jealousy-wise. And they get there, there's a time crunch, and the barber starts Usman's hair, but the power goes out, and the barber only got one side done. Now, Usman's associate tells him to leave the hair as is since they're on a time crunch, but Momager Kim interferes and tries to find other sources of power to get the hair done. And Usman's manager is complaining in a confessional that he doesn't know why Kim is interfering, (laughs) and maybe she's doing it because she is old. (laughs) The manager and the assistant cannot stand Momager Kim. (laughs) I laughed my butt off when they said that maybe she's doing it because she's old. (laughs) the manager says kim interfering isn't cool and she is strictly there to watch not give directions kim fusses over usman's hair and complains that usman deserves better i think she's babying usman and trying to take charge to impress him so he will clear the cobwebs pronto not because she actually cares about usman but that if she behaves this way maybe it will impress him enough and get him more inclined to knock the dust off but I don't think the PS5 or the MacBook or the momager role will sway him. The assistants are opening a plethora of luggages on the bed, scattered, disorganized, trying to find outfits in a hurry, and everything admittedly is super disorganized. And again, momager interferes. Wrath of Karen. She confronts the manager and assistant about planning better ahead of time. She says it seems disorganized. It's terrible. She's embarrassed for Usman. The manager says it's handled, don't worry, but Kim insists it doesn't seem handled. It seems flustered. Kim says she wants to prove to Usman she can be there for him. She says if the team doesn't get it together, they will see another side of her, and I can already tell she will be a queen of the Karen Society. Next up, we go to Tunisia and see Memphis 34 and Hamza 28. Now, Hamza and Memphis have such a language barrier that they speak baby talk to each other. That's the only way that they can communicate. Now, I know I spoke about how Americans don't always respect the cultures of their foreign partners. Before I get into this, their segment from this episode, I do want to mention that Hamza lives with his mom and his sister, and the mom made it clear that she did not want them sleeping together, especially under her roof, that Hamza would sleep on the couch and Memphis would take the bed, and they live in a tiny, tiny, tiny small apartment, and in that culture, it would reflect really bad on the mother in society if people know her son had sex with Memphis in her house, 
And yet they still had sex against her with wishes with it clearly on camera. And I think it was really disrespectful to her and to Hamza's culture. I don't understand why Memphis or Hamza did not have the foresight to get a hotel. I am all for lots of sex. But if you're going into a Muslim country in a Middle Eastern home and sleeping in the mom's home, eating their food, accepting their hospitality and knowing the culture, knowing the mother's wishes, knowing that the cameras are there as a respectable woman who wanted to respect her fiance's mom. Could you not get a hotel and fuck like bunnies and be as loud as, as you want? Rather than have the mom have to hear it. Her room is right next door to to the room in which Memphis was sleeping in. How embarrassing. How elementary. And again, I want to say, nothing is wrong with sex. Nothing is wrong with premarital sex. I'm all for it. But have the decency to respect the mom and the culture and get a fucking hotel. Now, funnily enough, after the sex, Memphis on camera made a huge ordeal about Hamza being a premature ejaculator, complaining that he came too quick. Now, imagine knowing your mom is next door and asks you not to have sex, and you know she can hear you, and you have your American partner pressuring you that you have to perform, so you do it, and you probably want to get it over with, and in case you get caught, there's cameras all around, your mom is next door, and Memphis complains on camera, shames you, saying you come too quickly. Wow, I think Memphis needs to reevaluate herself. And I also think that if you have an issue with a partner, whether it's sexual or otherwise, mention it in private, discuss it with them. And also, if that's what his issue is, she should encourage him and he will build up his stamina rather than put him down on camera like that. And they already have a huge language barrier and it was super cringeworthy watching her trying to explain. In the end, she had to do it with hand motions. It was really, 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 like, cringe. And there's even more cringe moments with this couple. I wonder how many there will be. Anyways, back to the current episode, uh, again, with another cringe moment. Memphis speaks about how her relationship with Hamza's mom is rocky. And I wonder why. But that his mom is trying to accept her and get to know her. Memphis tells Hamza, now this is the cringeworthy moment, that she has to poop. And she complains about finding a bathroom. She's holding her stomach, saying her stomach hurts. And he says, sorry, and kisses her forehead like she's a child. That made me cringe. Now, if I had to go to the bathroom and I'm with someone that I'm meeting, you know, this is the first time I'm meeting them really, and I have to go to the bathroom, I would just find the bathroom on my own and excuse myself and handle it without telling my partner about it, but that's okay. And not only does she ask Hamza to show her where the bathroom is and make a really big deal about it, they have a full-on conversation about her pooping as she's pooping on the toilet. Now... Memphis, uh, uh, Hamza leads Memphis to the bathroom and to, you know, to each their own. If they're comfortable on that level, discussing their bodily, you know, functions like that when they just meet, great. Hamza shows her the toilet and he sits directly outside as we hear her pushing and struggling on the toilet. And as she is going, he, they're speaking as she's going to the bathroom He asks her if she's okay, and she says, responds that she's still pooping, and he says, good job. And he asks her, are you finished? And she says, no, not yet. Just like when a child is being potty trained and the parent is being encouraging. I think it's weird AF, honestly. Then he asks if she's finished, and she comes out holding her stomach and says, me done. Let's hope she washed her hands. 
And I have to say, and this is a totally offhand comment, but I'm a, I will, I'm not a, a fan of the new seasons of Grey's, even though I watch it, I'm dedicated to it, but I love Grey's Anatomy, and I just think Memphis looks a lot like Chandra Wilson, the fabulous Dr. Billy on Grey's Anatomy. And ha- now, back to the show, Hamza talks about how Memphis spoke with his mom last night and says he wants to know all of her past before she marries him. Hamza says last night at dinner, his mom was suspicious of Memphis's past, but then he got to really thinking about this and he realized he didn't know anything about Memphis's past. Now, Memphis calls Hamza her fiance, but before you tie the knot, before you even fly to Tunisia to stay in the home with Hamza's mom and sister, would you not have already crossed this bridge? How do you call someone your fiance yet not ask the important questions? Memphis seemed really concerned about making sure the sex was good, and Hamza is her supposed fiance she flew across the world to meet, but Hamza doesn't know Memphis's past. It's very odd and very concerning. Again, I feel Memphis is really in love with the idea of being in love, with the idea of love, but these two people really don't know each other, let alone love each other, and they are fiancés. Memphis doesn't specifically want Hamza. I feel like any man could be substituted provided they marry her, provide and oblige her sexual needs. This isn't really about love. This is about fulfilling a fairy tale, calling it love, and expecting from this the ultimate happiness and wholeness. But if you feel insecure from the inside and you feel emptiness, that emptiness will remain, that insecurity will remain, even if you marry, even with real love, even with the perfect person, because that emptiness can only be filled with validating yourself and knowing your worth. Again, I don't believe it will come from anything external. So I just wanted to point that out. Now, back to Memphis and Hamza. Memphis asks what Hamza wants to know about her past. And Hamza says in very broken English, I mean, this is the level of communication that they have. Family before life. You, family before life, he tells her, to express that he wants to know about Memphis's childhood. And miraculously, she understands and she says she hasn't mentioned it because she prefers to do so in person because it's sensitive and it's hard to be vulnerable, but that it is important to tell Hamza before marriage. And honestly, I have to give Memphis props because it is really hard to be vulnerable and it is really hard to talk about your insecurities and be verbal about what you need and it is really, really hard to open up, and I was very impressed with this. Now, Hamza asks about her mother, and we know from previous episodes her relationship with her mom is okay now, but in the past it was rather tenuous. Her mom chose drugs over Memphis, and Memphis had to be in foster care. And we have heard before that the mom said Memphis had everything she needed. But we know having food, shelter, and clothes is not all a child needs. And Memphis didn't get that nurturing and unconditional love and protection and safety and guidance. And it is really hard to be a child and not get that deep validation you need from having that deep connection with your mother. And I get that. And I really, honestly, I do feel for her a lot. And Memphis replies to Hamza. She starts talking about her past and she says that her mother used to not be a good mother because of her drug problem, but that she's better now. And then Hamza asks about Memphis's father, and she says that he also had a drug issue, and he went to jail for selling drugs till she was around the age of 30. And Hamza said he's sad, and you genuinely can see the concern and the sadness on his face, honestly. And Memphis says that uh, abandonment, like him leaving her, is a hard thing. And I think it's really uh, awesome that she was able to verbalize what her issues were. And I understand, you know, that fear of abandonment, obviously. 
and he sweetly kisses her forehead and you can look in his eyes and look on his face and tell that he understands. And I really, I I thought it was really sweet. And I feel as though he genuinely is touched and I think it's really hard to be vulnerable. So again, it was amazing of Memphis to be clear that she has an issue with abandonment. And I think it's a really hard conversation to have, even with two native English speakers who speak fluently. So I really credit both of them, honestly, a lot. And that was a great conversation, good communication. And Memphis says she feels more vulnerable because she opened up to Hamza. But seeing Hamza so emotional touched her heart and makes her feel it's okay to be open. And she hopes he can be just as open with her as well. Next up, we are back to Panama with Jasmine, 34, and Gino, 51, of Michigan. And we talked about this before, but Gino accompanies Jasmine to the gym. And as soon as they walk in the door, she demands, sit there as if Gino is a little kid sitting off to the side. And she starts her routine, and he asks a lot of questions about it, and you can tell she's annoyed, and I would be too, as I said before. Uh, That time would be alone time to clear my head, and I like alone time, so I'd be annoyed as fuck if my partner came, just to sit on the side and be talkative. If he was participating and working out too, that would be one thing, but... Uh, I just like to go alone, but for some reason, she let Gino tag along, and Gino mentions in a confessional scene that Jasmine is upset because she got him some custom gifts for Christmas, which was yesterday, and Gino failed to buy Jasmine a gift, and at the beginning of the trip, he gave her a gift of an electric toothbrush, and I thought that was very odd to begin with. It kind of gave me big ad vibes. And then he suggested that that toothbrush that he gave her at the beginning of the trip was intended to actually be the Christmas gift. And there was a huge blow up over that. And that hasn't exactly been resolved. Now, Jasmine is beautiful. She is. She's really pretty on the outside. And even if it is plastic and spackle, doesn't matter. She is beautiful. But her inside is really vile and repulsive. And we're going to see that in just a second. We already know from previous episodes that she is overly controlling to the point where even if Gino has to pick up food, he has to do it on FaceTime with Jasmine watching even how he interacts with the lady who hands him his takeout. I think it's repulsive and cringeworthy cringeworthy and gross. If you have insecurities, that's one thing. But if you use your insecurities to control another person's life just because you're scared, that is really, really, really abusive. And really, like, she needs to probably do therapy or something. I don't, I don't really know. She already made it clear he will be checking his phone and wants his passwords. And even the first day, there was a female waitress who wasn't even remotely attractive. And just because he wanted to leave a tip like any normal, decent person would, she flipped out and she accused Gino of wanting to hook up with the waitress. If it was me, I don't care how attractive my partner is, I would really consider the constant stress and the tension and the quality of life being with a person that controlling, and I would never tolerate it, not even for a second, but this guy seems really pussy-whipped, and he has a fairy tale in his head of having kids and a family, and I really think he's thinking with his dick, and I also think he feels desperate to have a family. We'll see if he puts up with it, but in the long run, five years from now, when the sex wears off, will it be worth it to be treated that way? We'll see. Now, Gino expresses how the outburst with the gifts put a damper on Christmas, and he knows that Jasmine is still pissed. And now, I do feel like a toothbrush is a very weird gift. Again, big ed vibes. But I do feel like he, sh- and he, he should have given her a thoughtful Christmas gift. Of course he should have. And I don't even believe that the toothbrush was even meant to be a Christmas gift. But I don't feel it warn- warrants whining like a child, having an outburst, 
ruining Christmas. I mean, this is very childish. This is like teenager mentality, like 15-year-old mentality behavior. This woman is 34 years old, and I feel like she has a brain of about a 20-year-old, the maturity level. And she has serious issues. And I pity her because, like, you have to be a miserable person to behave the way she does on the inside. And in the next scene, we see just how miserable she is and just how insecure she is. And no amount of lipstick or silicone can mask it. Now, Gino says that he hopes tagging along to the gym with Jasmine would cheer her up. Gino, Gino, Gino. Gym time is alone time. She probably doesn't want you there. And that will just aggravate her more that you came. Bad, bad idea. Now, Gino asks if the weight exercises that she's doing would be considered a set. She, he asks what she's doing in the gym. He's really trying hard to engage her. I think he's trying to make sure everything is okay. But she's frustrated. I think it's adding to her frustration. I'd be frustrated too. I'd want to be left alone during my gym time. And she reiterates that she's used to being alone. She doesn't like talking at the gym. I understand that. Now, Gino says he understands. And she says, good boy. He totally seems to have some kind of a sub-dom fetish, femdom. Honestly, because she talks to him very condescendingly and he seems to get off on it. She says she wasn't happy about the gift, so she planned a trip to an island in Panama and that Gino needs to pay for it. And it's going to cost $2,500 for the trip to make up for the Christmas gift debacle. So since Gino has made the mistake of not giving her a Christmas gift, she will now give herself a gift and pick something expensive on him. We already know that Gino is out of work and on a limited budget. He already flew in, got the hotel, pays for the food, pays for the entertainment, etc. And the last episode, Jasmine wanted Gino to buy over $500 worth of clothes to fix his look. And he'd explained to her, I have to come back to get these clothes. I lost my job. I can't spend right now. And Jasmine doesn't seem to care. If Jasmine really cared about Gino... She would understand him and support that he can't spend a lot right now during the pandemic with no job. And Gino says he wishes that they spoke of the cost of this trip. And she said it's cheaper than all the trips that Gino took with other women. And she must not be as worthy as them. Gino says, yes, you're worth it. And so I'll do it. And she says, obedient. That's how I like it. He totally must have a femdom fetish. And she laughs maniacally. And Gino says in a voiceover that it's unreasonable to book the trip because it costs a lot to travel to Panama, flight, hotel, food costs, entertainment. All of that costs a lot of money. And then Jasmine says, I'm your queen. I deserve this. And he says, yeah, absolutely. Gino says Jasmine means more than the money and the money should not matter. He asks how she feels. And she says happy because they're going to go to an island and he says he, want to knock, he wants to knock her socks off. And she says she wants that. And she's smiling, happy. They're holding hands. And then all of a sudden she says what she really wants is for him to set on fire all the stupid things that he has in his house and she'll be 100% happy. Now, Gino, like seven years ago, had an ex-wife from Brazil and that's, again, I want to mention, uh, seven when they were married seven years ago before their divorce, they had gone on a trip to Europe, Gino and his ex. And so when she says that this trip is cheaper than any of the past trips he took, she's referring to that trip with his wife. And she's basically saying, if you don't get me this trip for uh, the $2,500 trip for Christmas, then you're saying I'm not as worthy as your ex-wife that you took to Europe from like seven years ago. More than that. Now, Gino's ex-wife from Brazil decorated his apartment and they 
well, they decorated the apartment together. They picked the furniture and she is adamant that she wants that changed. So again, she says what she really wants, what would make her happy is for him to set on fire all the stupid things he has in his house and she'll be a hundred percent happy. And again, he had the ex-wife who decorated his house from years ago and she mentioned already that she wants everything changed a few times. And she degraded his ex-wife a lot in previous episodes. She called her stupid. She said a lot of negative things about her. So again, she's bringing it up and she's insisting. And he, Gino asks, why does he need to change it all? And she says it's all the decor of his ex-wife and she wants nothing related to ex- his ex-wife in her house, in his house, and that the colors are stupid. And she said, who would combine red and baby blue? But ironically, she has on a baby blue sports bra and bright red lipstick as she is saying this. So Jasmine, who is going to combine red and baby blue? Ask yourself, because the answer is Y-O-U. She asks, you know, what was she thinking about using those colors, red and baby blue, together, as if they really don't go together when she's wearing red lipstick and the baby blue sports bra? And Gino, and Gino doesn't point it out. If it was me, I would point it out. But Gino says the colors look good. And Jasmine asked who picked the colors. And he says that they both picked the colors together. And Jasmine says, you want me to be there, just sit and eat breakfast looking at those colors and say, this is so lovely? Is that what you want me to do? And Gino can tell she's about to snap again. And he looks in fear like a cornered doe. His arms are crossed. His eyes look scared. And she says she deserves to pick the goddamn colors because in a few days, I have sucked your dick more than your ex did in seven fucking years. And those are the exact words. And she starts waving her hands, getting amped up. And Gino tells her not to say bad things about his ex-wife. And he looks really ashamed and mortified. And she says she isn't saying anything bad, that isn't, but it's true. And he's, she says, you told me that, that I've given you BJ's more than your ex-wife. And he closes his eyes. He looks totally defeated and says, yeah, in a low voice. And just that you don't have to say nasty stuff like that. It's not nice to say mean things about his ex-wife, not on TV or otherwise. And he looks absolutely mortified. And she's about to pop off asking, why do you defend her so much? Just all he requested is don't say disrespectful things about my ex-wife. And she wants to know why Gino defends his ex-wife. And Gino explains he's not defending her, but there's no reason to talk bad about her. And Jasmine says, are you a lawyer or what? And then she explodes. She starts crying, like literally sobbing, and asks, are you effing her? Tell me the truth. Any woman that ja- that Gino is just neutral with or just respectful of, she assumes in her brain that he wants to have sex with them. And he says no, and his arms are crossed, and he really looks fearful and like in disbelief, honestly. And I think Gino is a decent guy who doesn't want to talk bad about his ex, especially on TV. He wants to be respectful, and I think Jasmine is fucking nuts. I think the Botox is going to her brain. Something is totally off with her. And just because he won't change the paint and every item of furniture in his home when he is out of work, and just because he asks her please not to disparage his ex, she freaks out and wonders if they are fucking. That is totally irrational, totally illogical. That's totally psycho. Jasmine is really very controlling and she doesn't think logically and she allows her insecurity to dictate everything in her world. And honestly, I feel really scared for Gino and I really pity Jasmine because she must be miserable on the inside. She's like vile on the inside. She has zero self-worth no matter what she looks like on the outside. And to be conducting herself in this manner, I mean, no amount of Botox or silicone or hair dye or lipstick will fix what is broken in her mind. 
Nothing will ever be enough for her. And guess what? Everyone will perpetually abandon her because she forces it with her behavior. It doesn't matter what your looks are. If you behave like a fucking disgrace and your worth is so fragile, once the sex wears off, men will run for the hills and be happy with a five or a six instead of a 10 that treats them well and uses rational thinking. I pity Jasmine. Run, Gino, run. She will never be happy. She will never feel loved or validated until she finds her worth inside herself and it won't ever come from the outside, from anything external. Jasmine tells Gino, fuck you. And he calls, he said, and she says, call that bitch, referring to his ex, and stay with her. So because Gino, who has no job right now, wants to keep the walls and furniture as is for now, and he asked her not to make disparaging remarks about his ex, both normal and fair requests, she assumes that they might be fucking and he'd rather be with her. Where's the logic in that? Listen, Jasmine, even an amazing blowjob is not worth the abuse and degradation that comes with you. And give it a few months. When the sex wears off, he will run to his ex-wife and you will have caused it. Keep going. She's legit psycho. Like there's something wrong with her. Then Jasmine starts crying, like sobbing and says, Gino makes her look crazy. Jasmine, you make yourself look batshit. Gino is the rational one of the pair. Jasmine screams that she's defending his effing bitch uh, ex-wife and comparing that Gino compares her to his ex all the time and she storms off sobbing and Gino says that this is the most upset he has ever seen Jasmine and he says it's new for him and it's scary and it's shocking how Jasmine can get really upset at a moment's notice two seconds before the outburst she was holding hands with him talking about going to the island being happy so it happened you know in an instant she has a few screws loose, undeniably, and Gino says her emotional instability gives him concern about the future, and he doesn't know where they go from here. And she is sobbing like a teenager, saying it's painful to tell her when Gino tells her that he likes the colors that him and his ex-wife picked together, which was like a decade, almost a decade ago, by the way, so not recent at all. And to react this way is insane, childish, and bratty. And as she is crying, the camera does a close-up of the two cherries tattoo with Gino and Jasmine underneath that Jasmine got before ever meeting Gino. How are you getting a tattoo way before you meet in real life? Crazy. What a nut. And next up, we meet Ben, 52, from Michigan. And he looks ridiculous, like a complete tool. His face also is asymmetrical, which kind of bothers me, but I'm not sure why. It might be a health reason, so I don't want to speak negatively on that. And he's using a caliper and talking about his weight and body fat. He seems really into his body. And he has some muscles. I don't think it looks good personally, but I he thinks it does. And he's a fitness model. I think he looks gross, and I think he's gross in general. I think his kids should be his priority, but we'll get there. Now, Ben, 52, of Michigan, grew up in what appears to be a cult, uh, like a cult-like situation, and he was taught that our bodies are sinful and almost evil, and he says that he grew up in a fringe religion of a mainstream Baptist denomination, and the church controlled him and his family. There was no TV growing up. There was no going to movies. There was no friends outside of church. So his obsession with his body and weight and appearance and the modeling might be a fuck you to the constraints of his religion that he was reared in from childhood. He says that if you stepped out of place, you were shamed and punished and shunned. Ben said that his life had a lot of fear and he wanted to go to heaven, so he became a pastor. And he married the children's ministry pastor and they had four kids. To me personally, I think this guy might be gay or bi or dabble. He gives off 
vibes, but who knows? I mean, that's just my opinion. And him and his wife and their religion could stay together or they could go to an eternal lake of fire. And seven years ago, they left the cult to save the marriage and they did counseling, but it was too late. There was 24 years of neglect, so he filed for divorce. And there's a scene of him working on his bike. I think he's really trying to hard to present like an alpha male, like he's into fitness, he's into his bike and working on his bike, but he just seems like a total poser and a tools. It feels disingenuous, like he's just trying to find himself and he doesn't really know he, who he is. And to me, it almost feels like he's playing pretend and he has no idea who he is. And everything he's doing to project him seeming like uh, he's, you know, really manly and masculine, it, it comes off as disingenuous to who he is. Uh, he seems kind of stunted and he seems gullible, like he's a teenager who's trying to look cool, but he's 52 years old. And I really hope that his kids and his ex-wife don't get embarrassed by him being on the show. He's totally cringe. I mean, I vomit in my mouth watching him struggle to work on his bike in his wife beater. It's really sad. And he says most people would say that he's going through a midlife crisis, but he swears it's not true. I think from being in a cult and having to reframe his ideas of the world upon getting out, he has the mentality of a 15-year-old and hasn't even gotten to the mentality of someone his age. And I think it will take a long time to develop mentally to his actual age. None of this poser shit is helping him. He was lost after leaving the church and leaving his wife, and he went soul-searching. He kept his faith, but it was difficult, and he was lonely, so he got on dating sites. And he was inexperienced, and he didn't know how to navigate relationships and dating. So after several failed relationships, Ben took a year and a half off of dating, and a couple months ago, he met the most remarkable woman he ever met in his entire life. And they show him dribbling a basketball, Mr. Athletic, what a poser, OMG, with these staged shots. It's embarrassing. Again, I can't say the word disingenuous enough. It's so disingenuous. He put his modeling pics on social media and he got tons of friend friend requests. And one was Mahogany. And he sent a hand wave emoji to her and got a response. And they DM'd back and forth ever since. And it hasn't stopped for the last 115 days. And they show pics of this girl that are obviously filtered and photoshopped to the high heavens. But Ben doesn't think so. And Mahogany is 24 from Peru. She's pretty and wise and mature. And there is a 28-year age difference. But Ben says, despite that, it feels like they are soulmates. Ben says when he talks to a woman and mentions Jesus as his savior and that he doesn't want sex before marriage, that most women lose interest. But with Mahogany, he can talk freely. And she agrees she loves the Lord and has known Jesus for years. They text daily. They have great communication. But Mahogany's English isn't perfect. One text that stood out to Ben is late one night, Mahogany texted him that he deserved to be loved and that she wants to be that person. And Ben can't describe how that felt. Growing up, Ben felt that he did not deserve love. So she really hit a nerve no one else has. And I think it's really sad that Ben didn't feel worthy of love growing up. And I think this indicates that Ben ties having love with another person to being validated as a person or to being worth something. And I think he has to learn to love himself first. He shouldn't need outside external people or external forces letting him know, telling him he is worthy of love. He needs to know that for himself. He needs to know that himself and love himself, not his outside package, not his ego, but himself. Ben is a lot to unpack. 
and I really feel sad for him. He can work out. He can check his body fat with his calipers. He can dribble his basketball, and he can work on his motorcycle and his wife beater. But inside, he really struggles believing he is enough. So love won't work for him, and love from anyone outside of himself won't fix that. Again, it has to come from himself. Ben is going in a week to Peru to see Mahogany, and he feels he is looking at his future wife when he sees her. Ben meets his friends, and he has kept Mahogany a secret, so he wants to reveal the news. Ben cares what his friends think, and he's hoping it goes over well. He, even at lunch, is discussing watching calories. I just think it's a lot. And his friends think he's nuts. His friends are concerned at the age gap and the emotional maturity of a 24-year-old. And one friend says, Ben is desperate to find love, this connection that he's never found before, and that he's willing to believe anything as a result of that. And a common theme with a lot of the people on the show is willfully ignoring obvious sirens and blazing red flags for an idea of love that isn't even a reality. There are lots of delusional people who believe they need love so much and once they have it, all will be well and perfect and the birds will sing and the daffodils will sway in the breeze and anything that appears in their path, reality or not, if it doesn't fit the existing fairy tale in their mind, that narrative they cling to, they cling to the fairy tale ahead of any everything and they force the fairy tale to fit. Making the fairy tale exist supersedes anything telling you otherwise. And that's scary that these people cannot process their reality right in front of them. Ben reveals he has only spoken to Mahogany twice on the phone and never on video chat because she is shy. She did send him one video that just says, hi, good night, it's Mahogany right here, it's Mahogany. And it looks filtered and doctored and was less than half a minute long. And next, his friends asks if she ever asks for money. And Ben reveals that she has asked for a loan of $1,000 and he did give it to her. And his friends warn him that it's a scam. He was previously catfished before we learn and it took him several weeks to find that it was a man from Africa that he thought was a woman and it hurt him very much. And Ben asserts that he knows Mahogany is real because they connect every day, deeper and deeper. And that can't be fake. And his friends warn him, maybe it's not real and she isn't who she says she is. And Ben reiterates that he wants to marry her and he loves her after three months of texting and he feels his marriage was an artificial construct and he never got love, even with his first wife, but he is getting it now. What he found with Mahogany is like no one else and he feels that God did this, that God led them to each other, to an opportunity at love. And Ben reiterates that God is involved in this. And next we go to Colombia with Mike, 34, and Jimena, 24. Now, it says her age is 24, but she really does look a lot older than that. And they are strolling through a beautiful, lush, green coffee-growing area. And Mike wants to talk about Jimena not being able to have any more kids. And Mike was very clear, you know, when they spoke online that he would want a family. And Jimena had two kids, and she had a surgery, and she claims... Her tubes have been cut and burned, so it was not a typical tubal ligation that can be reversed. But Jimena didn't tell Mike she could not birth kids until after he bought her house full of furniture, met her kids, met her family, and sealed the deal. And Mike thinks it's a lot to process. He handled it well last episode, but now he wants to discuss it, and I was impressed at how Mike handled the situation. He's very calm and very rational. Mike wants to figure out if they have a future together. He says he's still upset she kept the secret. 
And she says she did it because she suffered in pain and she was scared and she didn't think she'd ever find a partner she'd want kids with. And she didn't want to have kids without a father in the home. So she did the procedure. She didn't anticipate meeting Mike or wanting kids, but it would be nice to have a family with Mike. And Mike wants to know if there's anything they can do to make him in a have the ability to have children. And she says, no, it was a permanent procedure. Her tubes were cut and burned. And Mike wants to know from Jimena how Jimena thought it would work if she already knew she couldn't have kids and that he really wanted kids and that she would never told him about it ahead of time. And she says she doesn't know. And she asks Mike if he regrets the trip to Colombia. And he says he does not know. And she asks, well, what about our kids that she asked from different fathers that Mike has come into their life like a father to them. And so what will happen to them? And Mike says he loves her kids like his own and he wouldn't want to hurt them. So Jimena asks for forgiveness and Mike knows that she had a rough life and he won't fault her, but giving up having kids on his own is a lot to process, but he does forgive her. And he says no more secrets ever and Jimena promises no more secrets. And they say I love you and Mike says that his gut says that they are meant to be together. And he still loves her and she has two kids and he can raise them as his own but that she has to win by back his trust. And I understand that. I mean, that's to, I don't, wouldn't understand foregoing kids knowing that that was always what you really wanted and saying, I don't have to do that. Um, I think that's a big decision. Uh, okay. Back to Memphis and Hamza in Tunisia. Memphis is upset because Hamza lied about his age. He's actually 26 years old, and he told her he was 28 years old to lessen the age gap. His sister lets slip that he was 26, and Hamza's mom expresses that she really thinks this is no big deal. The age gap has moved from six to eight years, and Memphis feels betrayed and wants to know what else Hamza could be lying about. And in confessional, Hamza explained that he lied because she would think he's mature enough for her, and Memphis asked Hamza if it's okay to lie. And he says, no me, no happy. Yeah. Meaning he isn't happy with himself. The mom was shocked by Memphis's reaction and again reiterates that it was really no big deal that he just wanted to feel older. That it isn't serious or that heavy to be this angry about or this uh, cause this much of a kerfuffle over. The next day, they're supposed to do the paperwork at the embassy, marriage papers, and now Memphis doesn't know how she feels about it and needs time. It's not the age gap that is devastating, but the lying, especially because she just opened up to him. She feels vulnerable and wonders what else he is lying about. And I just want to say, poor Memphis, it is. We see Memphis crying in her room and she, you can tell like she's deeply hurt and feels very betrayed. And, um, it's really hard sometimes to trust people. If you've been deeply hurt in the past with some of your main relationships, like your parents, for example, it's really hard to trust. And then you trust a person and it's hard to be vulnerable and you're vulnerable with them. And then they lie, even if it's this two year age gap thing. And it, it really, really, it hurts massively. And she feels probably betrayed. And Hamza, I don't think, is grasping the situation. So he asked his mom and sister what's wrong with Memphis. And Hamza says she's different, referring to the way Memphis is reacting, I believe. And I find that he's her, him referring to her being upset, crying in her room because uh, he lied to her. 
I think they all believe it's because of the age gap and not understanding that it's basically breaking her trust, which is already fragile in general. And no one seems to understand why she's upset, not the sister, not the mother, and certainly not Hamza. And I think they assume that the six versus eight year age gap, that two year difference is upsetting Memphis when in reality, she's just really upset that he lied. And Memphis is tearing up, upset and betrayed. And she feels she thought she knew more about Hamza than she does. That she may have flown all the way there and he's full of shit. Her past relationships have been rough. Her whole life from childhood on has been rough. And she's tired of betrayal, tired of being hurt, of taken, being taken advantage of. And everything has been really rough on her. And she feels she is genuine and she just wants to be good. I think she's basically saying she wants to be good to someone and have them be genuine and be good back to her. And she's really hurt. And now we hop back over to Istanbul with Alina and Caleb. <laughs> and Elijah checking out the bazaar and it is beautiful colors and lots of different things lots of different sites I would I would have loved to have been there and a vendor was showing them coffee and he was saying that one type of coffee keeps you up all night and Alina jokes to Caleb we need this and Alina and Elijah are having tea and Alina tells Elijah that Caleb and her have sealed the deal and Alina says she's getting attached and she wants Caleb to tell her something that would indicate seriousness. And Caleb was vague, saying things like, we'll talk later. And Alina asks, later when? And Elijah says, you don't need to ask me. You need to ask Caleb. So Alina asks if she has a right to ask Caleb because she hasn't told Caleb yet about living with her ex. They were together living when things got serious between Alina and Caleb. And Alina hasn't told Caleb that she was living with someone when things got serious with him because she didn't want him to back off. Alina says she isn't brave enough. And Elijah asks how long she should wait. And he says if she doesn't do it, he'll do it. And Alina says it's better to do it herself. And Elijah then reiterates that she needs to talk to Caleb. And Alina doesn't feel comfortable pushing Caleb for answers about their future before she tells him the truth. And Caleb is pretty truthful, so Alina is unsure how, he'll, how he will react when she tells him that she lied to him. She hopes it really doesn't screw everything up. She should be honest with Caleb, she says. And obviously, Elijah agrees. Now we're back to Ben in Michigan. And you guys, this scene is like, oh, so cringeworthy. He's cooking and learning Spanish. And I really want to say this, though. I have to give him credit, honestly. I think that it's a positive Oftentimes on this show, we see huge language barriers with little to no effort put into learning the part other partner's language. And here we see Ben actually investing in learning Spanish. And although I'm not crazy about him in general, I really, really, really appreciated that. And I give him a lot of credit for that. Mahogany doesn't know any English. And Ben is talking about his how he's going to tell his kids about Mahogany. He's worried the divorce was hard on them and he feels really guilty that he could not give his kids their traditional nuclear family and he says he feels he destroyed that for his kids. Ben says his kids, they're his first responsibility and if his kids don't accept this, he doesn't know what he's going to do. His ex-wife and him share custody and he invited his ex-wife over as well because he feels that she has a right to know who he is bringing into his children's lives. And again, I really want to give Ben credit for this. The fact that he respects the family dynamic and he respects his wife enough to say, 
these are your kids too. I'm going to let you know who's coming into our children's lives. I thought that was awesome. I think that's fair and I do respect that. Um, and I respect that for all his foolishness, he respects his wife enough as the mother of his kids to be really transparent with her. And his ex and him have a cold relationship and she isn't yet over the divorce and she harbors feelings of resentment towards Ben. And that's according to Ben. We really don't know. And Ben is worried that his ex will make it harder. And he says it's awkward when he sits down with his kids to have mom and dad at the same table. And we know he has three kids. One child is, well, I guess it's not a child. It would be a grown adult is 20. One is 19 and one is 14. And we find out here that Ben has had a previous, not only had a catfish when he thought he was talking to a woman, but he was actually talking to a man. Now we find that he's had a previous relationship with a 28-year-old that didn't work. And Ben reiterates that God is guiding this with his wife and kids. He tells his ex-wife and kids that God is guiding this. And his wife says, God was not in guiding you with a (laughs) 28-year-old. I love his wife. Honestly, I found her very entertaining. And just a side note here, I find it really peculiar that this guy is super into fitness and he has his calipers and checks his body BMI and he goes to the trouble of setting a table outside and grilling and he makes his kids hot dogs. Super unhealthy, super processed, and super incongruous to his lifestyle. So Ben announces that he has fallen in love and if you look at the looks on his daughter's and wife's faces that they give him, they're priceless. You can see the seething resentment drip from their pores. And the wife looks at him like he is completely stupid and gullible. Like, what an idiot. And it's so great, like, seeing their reactions. The 20-year-old asks if Mahogany speaks English. And it's hilarious because they all already know that this is probably not going to work out. He's already had the 28-year-old wife that didn't work out. He already had the catfish and a couple other things that didn't go well, apparently. So, Ben says that... Mahogany and him have connected spiritually and are planning a future. And the wife asks curiously how they met. And he says social media. And when he says that, she raises her eyebrows. And they all in unison, the kids and the ex-wife, look at Ben like he is just the stupidest person on the planet. Ben says he realizes it's weird, but the decisions he is making now are all based on what he thinks is God's plan for him. And he asks his family, do you think I'd want to have this reputation to fall in love with someone that young? That is not... And then his wife cuts him off and goes, that's not the first time. (laughs) I love his wife. I love her personality. We find out a year after his divorce, he met a girl 18 years younger and they got engaged but she didn't want him to spend so much time around his kids and it ended badly. He promises his kids he wouldn't make that mistake again and he says Mahogany says that she loves his kids. So basically he tells his kids, Mahogany says she loves you and she prays for you and she she loves family. She wants family. And his kids ask if she would move or if he would go to Peru and he says she will move to America. And his 20-year-old son says that It's a little strange and weird you would go that far that soon to someone you haven't spent that much time with. And his daughter is concerned with her dad leaving them and forgetting about them because in previous relationships, he has disconnected from his kids to be with the other person. 
That is so sad. I mean, he just said that his kids come first, but to me, it seems like his D-I-C-K comes first and nothing else. And he seems to believe that what his D-I-C-K wants is what God's plan is for him. So I feel really sad because his kids need to feel like they are loved and like they're his priority in life. And I don't think they feel that way. And I think they already like lose respect for him because they know that he's gullible. This is really sad. Anyways, back to the show. Ben's son asks for a picture and the kids say the picture is fake and filtered and the dad suggests it's a really good camera. So basically they show this photo, I mean, and it is filtered, photoshopped, doctored to the high heavens. Anything you could possibly picture being done to this picture has definitely been done. And the kids, you know, suggest that that's an inauthentic photo and the dad says maybe it's a really good camera. And the dad thinks, Ben, that everyone deserves a chance at love and he wants to model with mahogany what his kids would do with their future partners. O-M-G. Do you know how, like, it's super, first of all, insulting to his ex-wife who's sitting there and then he's naive and freaking gullible and everyone already thinks he's an idiot and he's saying, I'm going to be an example for you. I'm going to bring this 24-year-old from Peru and we're going to get married and like have a family and model what a relationship should look like. Like the audacity and the ego and just how freaking tone deaf is this man? He is like, I don't know. He has a a wire loose or a screw loose. I really, honestly, I don't know what's up with this guy. He has very little self-awareness and he also has very little perception of other people's emotions, even the people he's close to. So like, wow. One of his kids, you know, was saying that they're afraid that they're going to be completely abandoned and forgotten about. And then the dad says something like, I'm going to be an example for you. Uh, to do uh, have an exemplary uh, partner, what that would look like in the ideal situation, and I'm going to model that for you. And they're afraid that he's going to abandon them, and he just doesn't even, I feel like, address the way that they feel or any of their concerns. And anyway, after he says that he wants to model with Mahogany what his kids should do with their future partners, his daughter replies, and this was like the funniest moment of the episode. I freaking loved it. I wouldn't want them to be that young. And the dad doesn't know what to say, so he goes to his go-to God as an excuse to do whatever he wants with his D-I-C-K. And he says, you never know where God is going to lead you. And then the wife asks, when are you going to start caring where God is leading you? Because I can guarantee you, God was not leading you with that relationship with the (laughs) 28-year-old. I love his wife and his kids. And Ben says he isn't proud of his past decisions, but he is proud of the progress he has made in the future, that he wants to put his kids first, although it doesn't seem like anything that he's done in his life has been putting his kids first. And he feels like that is what he's doing. So he feels like he's putting his kids first, even though on the show they're talking about how they're afraid they're all going to be abandoned because it's happened before where he's put relationships ahead of his kids. Ben says that he knows that he's breaking trust with his kids and he wouldn't make this trip unless he knows for sure that this is the path that God wants him to take. And he acknowledges again the broken trust with his kids and he gets why they are taking this hard and that he knows he has a lot to prove and he loves them and he wants them to trust him and he wants to show them the love is real between him and Mahogany. Back to Mike and Jimena. 
They go on a trip because it has been a lot emotionally getting over the kids issue for Mike because he really wanted kids and she's not able to have kids and she failed to tell him about this. Mike wants to know everything about Jimena so he can marry her. And Jimena hopes they can connect connect after the drama of the past few days. And Salerno is beautiful. I totally have trip envy. It looked so colorful and beautiful and lush. And Mike wants lots of sex because her house is really crowded, so they have no privacy. And the room is beautiful. Mike throws Jimena on the bed and starts making out with her while he lets one rip. And that was stomach turning. And if I was with anyone that farted, like, even at all while they were making out with me, even while they were next to me in bed, I would be totally grossed out. I would be like, no. Anyway. He already looks gross in general, and then to add that he's farting while making out and doing sexual things is, like, disgusting. And people have weird fetishes. I really don't know, but, I mean, that would be off the table for me. They go to the hot tub, and Mike says he wants to be honest and open, and Jimena wants to be honest and open with him, and he asks Jimena about the fathers of her kids, And she says they never had relationships. It was just one night stand, casual stuff. And she happened to get pregnant. And she dated some very aggressive guys in the past. And she's distanced herself from those guys and also from aggressive types of guys. And Mike asks more about those people. And Jimena says that she lived with a hitman who wanted her killed and locked her up. She'd had crazy relationships after having her kids, and she had this relationship with the hitman. She was under the impression that he was a tattoo artist, and then after a week of living with him, she discovered that he was a hitman. And she was very scared, so she ended the relationship, and he then left her a message saying, you have three days to enjoy because I'm going to kill you. So she went to the cops, and she never heard from the hitman again. And Mike is scared for himself. He's also scared for Jimena and the kids. And she says that it was two years ago, and she knows nothing about him after separating. She never heard from him after that. And Mike questions why Jimena would get involved with men like that. And it's one thing after another after another, and he is worried what else may come to light. And I think he should be concerned, honestly. She already didn't say the full truth about uh, not being able to have kids. She told him after he arrived. Then she told him about the hitmen. It's a lot. And now we go back to Memphis and and I also I just want to say before we get to Memphis and Hamza you should never give up on your dreams and it's one thing if you're deeply in love with a person and they can have kids and you make an agreement together to adopt or whatever but he shouldn't give up his dreams but I think he really is a good guy I think he does feel attached to Jimena's kids and he wants to do the right thing but I just think he's acting without really thinking things through. Back to Memphis and Hamza now. Uh, Memphis is still very upset that Hamza lied and that he is 26, not 28. And she wants to talk to Hamza and she is mad. And he says he's sorry. She asks, why did you lie about your age? And in confessional, he says that he feels older than his age and he wanted to feel closer to her. And he knows that if he said he was older, that she would feel better about the age gap. And she asks, like, how can I trust you, Hamza? And she wants to know if the job he said he does, he really does do genuinely the heating and cooling. And he said he does heating and cooling, and she wants Hamza to verify this. So she tells Hamza, demands, now, get your sister. And Hamza goes, gets his sister, because she wants to ask her. She wants to verify that he actually has a degree in what he says he does. 
And she said, if he doesn't have a career path, she will not bring him to the United States with her and her kid. And I think that's a really smart thing. And she says, if he doesn't have, you know, the degree in what he says, the heating and cooling, that it would be like caring for another child. And she asked his sister if he went to college and got a diploma and she asked to see it. And Hamza says Memphis thinks it's a big deal that, and that could hurt the relationship and he becomes concerned at that point. And Memphis asks his sister if he understands that he cannot lie any more than he already has. And Hamza says yes, and he agrees and apologizes. But Memphis is alarmed by the lie and feels she does not know Hamza as well as she thought she did. And she's wondering if he is trustworthy. I kind of feel for Memphis because, I mean, the two-year age added on to the six-year age gap, the eight-year age gap, it's not that big a deal, really. But the lie is a big deal, especially for her. She has... Uh, difficulty trusting people so it's really difficult and the fact that the mom and the sister seem to think that she's overreacting and they're not supportive of her kind of bothers me I mean I know they're going to take Hamza's side but I would have liked to see her feel a little bit supported but everyone was kind of acting like she was weird for freaking out like almost like there's something wrong with her because she took issue with it and I feel for her because like this is She has all her hopes pinned on this. And then she already opened up to him. And then she found out that he lied. And this is a small thing, but still. I think that this is going to come up to bite her in the ass. There might be a lot many more red flags. Uh, Now back to Kim and Usman shooting the video for Zara. And Usman isn't too happy with the lack of competency from his team. Usman acknowledges that Kim is trying really hard. And he appreciates that. Kimberly is watching Usman with the model thinking, he doesn't touch me like that. She also notices that Zara happens to be a weird name for a song. But she asked who Zara was, and Usman said Zara is a name for all the girls named Zara across the world. And Kimberly said, what the fuck does that mean? But she didn't push it too hard. So maybe she gets a vibe that Zara is someone special, like his ex, who he really, really, really was into, who broke up with him. Kimberly doesn't yet know about. Kim says she'll hold it together since she's here for support. And Kim and Usman commiserate over how shitty his team is. And he claims that that is why he is losing energy during the shoot. So he's performing badly during shooting the music video and not having energy and not doing a good job. And it's his team's fault, not his. Now, his team was disorganized, but he's responsible for his own actions. Kimberly feels Usman and Michael Jackson are similar. (laughs) I laughed at this are similar because they are both perfectionists with their art. So Kimberly, and I did, this was in one of the first episodes, she has like a room dedicated to Michael Jackson with Michael Jackson memorabilia. She seems pretty obsessed with Michael Jackson. Um, I have no comment, uh, but I really think it's interesting that she feels Usman and Michael Jackson are similar because they're both perfectionists with their art. And Usman and Kimberly leave the shoot holding hands. And she says, without her, she isn't sure how the shoot would have gone. Like, she saved the day, and she hopes Usman sees that and is thinking about the relationship more. Kim apologizes for her behavior to his team and says Usman is upset that nobody makes sure he is set and he is the star. And Kim feels like Usman is neglected by the manager and assistant, and she really feels bad for Usman. And his manager and assistant say Kim has no right to blame anyone and that it doesn't feel like they were sitting around twiddling their thumbs doing nothing all day. And Kim says that they should have been on top of Usman at the shoot. 
And they told Kimberly that it's because of her that the shoot went badly or the sh- it went well. Ultimately, they did a good video, but that the shoot had hiccups. And Kim says, so it's my fault. And the manager responds that he had to respect her because it was Usman's friend. But you can tell like it was really hard by the skin of his teeth. Was he respecting her? And then Usman actually stands up for Kimberly. He says, Usman says he was pissed at the manager and an associate and that it wasn't an vacation, that they were there for work and that Kimberly was there for different reasons. And whether they like his opinion or not, he really doesn't care. And in confessional, Usman says that the video shoot made his feelings about Kimberly improve. And he is happy with Kimberly's help. And he feels he did the right thing inviting her and he is excited to see how things progress. And he's smiling. He genuinely looks like he's, you know, slightly impressed by Kim's momager role. Back to Jasmine and Gino after the biggest fight since they met over Jasmine's insecurities about Gino's ex-wife. And this is from like seven years ago. It's not even recent. Jasmine initiated the topic and went crazy. And Gino feels he should have seen the warning signs that she would explode. And Gino again reiterates that it was scary. Jasmine walks in crying, still saying that she is sad that Gino lives in the past, that his house and life are full of the past. Jasmine says that she's been hurt deeply before, so she feels vulnerable with relationships. And even though she behaves like she has high self-esteem or confidence, inside she's a scared animal who doesn't want her heart broken again. I understand wanting to protect yourself. I understand not wanting to be hurt, but it doesn't excuse treating someone in the abusive, controlling, demeaning way that she does. Jasmine says she wants to go slow and stop the talk of having kids or moving to the U.S. and that Gino can go back hunting on the website for for other stupid women like her. And Gino says Jasmine is the most sensitive girl that he's ever been with and he feels if he said the right answer of no, I don't like the colors on the wall, then everything would be good. This never would have happened. So he basically feels that he has to walk on eggshells or give the answer he knows Jasmine wants to hear, true or not, to avoid explosions. And that isn't a way to live. It's very suffocating. I really do feel bad for Gino. And Jasmine says that she feels that he has a tangible bond to the past people and that she is leaving tomorrow and that she is happy and relieved instead of sad. And Gino asks, what can we do to get through this? And she's... Jasmine responds that it's too late. She says she isn't important in his life, so there is no hope. And mind you, this is all because with his ex-wife, who he divorced like seven years ago, together they picked colors and furniture. Then she's behaving this way and wants to leave and throw a fit and stuff. So this is like really unreasonable. Gino asks, again, like what they can do, and she says it's too late, and she says that she isn't important in his life, so there is no hope. So basically, what I want to reiterate here is she's saying, either you give me everything I want all the time, or I'm going to feel like I'm not important to you. And that's really, really, really unreasonable. I understand sitting up for yourself and all that, but this is like ridiculous. And Gino says that he's really trying. He wants to work this out. Let's work it out. And that he's not the one saying that he's going to leave like Jasmine is. Gino wants to discuss what they have to do to work this out. And Jasmine says what she wants is 
for Gino not to tell her about past trips or say anything good ever about exes. They do not exist to him. And then Jasmine threatens, or I will get crazy and things will get very bad. And then she says yes or no in an aggressive way. And he agrees. He says yes. All that matters to him is us, he says. So his relationship with Jasmine is all that matters to him. And he, and he says, I want to be with you. I want marriage and having a baby like we talked about. And then Jasmine says, and if I lied to you a little bit? And then she lets it drop that she has been on birth control because she was afraid of getting pregnant. And Gina was under the impression that they were already going to try to have a baby. And he was excited about it and he was expecting it. And honestly, Jasmine is being smart here. Obviously, you don't have a baby or try to get pregnant with someone you've never met before. So, And I think she's very emotionally unstable. I know she already has kids. I don't even know um, what it would be like to walk on eggshells as a child, uh, having her as a mother. I'm assuming it's a lot of walking on eggshells. I'm not really sure. Um, It's just my opinion. But uh, then she asks Gino, after, so she, she, he thought they were trying for a kid. He didn't realize she was on birth control. Then she lied to him basically about it and didn't tell him. She, he, in his mind, is thinking they're making, trying to make a baby every night. And then she lets him know, no, I've been on birth control. I'm afraid of getting pregnant. And she asks Gino if he's disappointed. And he says, yes, why did you start taking them? And Jasmine explained, and Jasmine is being really rational here with this part of it, with the taking birth control, because no one's ready to be having kids. And she explained that it's the first, it's the first time they meet. And Gino asks, how do you feel now? Do you think you still need the birth control pills? And he honestly, genuinely seems disappointed. And Jasmine says, they're not even close to ready to do a family. And this is the smartest, most rational thing that I've heard Jasmine say this whole show. They aren't even close to ready to do a family, so she took birth control pills. Should she have omitted the truth or lied to Gino or made him think that they were, you know, on the path to making a baby currently? No, no way. She should have told the truth, but I mean, it's very rational and I honestly, it's the right thing to do. And Jasmine looks disappointed because they both agreed that it would be great if she got pregnant on this trip. And he wants to know if she could change her mind later, possibly. And she says yes. And Gino says that he's worried by the side Jasmine showed today. And he's happy they can work through the issues and get through this. But he hopes that he doesn't see that side of her again. And we'll have to wait and see with that. That brings us to the end of the episode, and next week looks like it's going to be super interesting. Uh, Apparently, Jasmine's divorce goes through, and she will be getting a stripper, and we'll have to see how Gina reacts to that. It's going to be a juicy one next week. I thank you for watching. This is Mary Jane K, 90 Day. Hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a comment. See you guys later.